ask you now to please open your Bibles to John 12, verses 27 through 43. If you are using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 899. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Then, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. You have a, an outline on the back of your bulletin. You don't need to turn there because I'm just telling you you can disregard it. <laughs> I was working furiously during every uh, break that they gave us um, during this uh, trial and um, and threw together as best I could a, an outline and realized uh, after um, Connie had gone to print that this was not the direction that uh, I believe God was leading me in the sermon. Let's pray. Father, I acknowledge uh, joyfully that no one has come to hear me speak, but rather your people have come to hear the message of the cross, to hear about Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. And so I pray that he would take center stage this morning. Father, that we would not have eyes that do not see and hearts that do do not understand and believe. But rather, Father, I pray 
that as the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, pour out your Spirit. Give enlightenment, understanding to everyone here that all may trust in Jesus Christ even more this morning than they did yesterday. I ask in His name, Amen. The great Presbyterian preacher of the previous century, Donald Gray Barnhouse, said, God's greatest glory is His grace. This quote captures perfectly the meaning of the first two verses in our text. So if you look in your Bibles, you'll see verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice from heaven, um, came a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. First thing we see in verse 27 is that Jesus is troubled in His soul. In verses 23 through 26, uh, this is going back to a sermon a couple of weeks ago. Uh, our, our text uh, there, Jesus had been speaking of His approaching death. And so by the end of the week, He was going to be nailed to the cross. And He was going to become a sin offering for sinners. At the end of the week, His unbroken fellowship with the Father that He had had from all eternity would be shattered. His whole being was pure and holy. The exact contradiction of sin, yet He would become sin for sinners. He would wear our sins as a garment on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Literally, Jesus became a cursed one. And as a cursed one, He would bear the full weight of God's wrath. In the words of Isaiah 53, He would be crushed for our iniquities. So no wonder that He's troubled as He's been speaking about the cross, as He contemplates the fact that before the week ended, He would be nailed to it. And His divinity made the turmoil in His soul not less, but more deeply penetrating. When Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, He was giving us a look into the depths of His heart as he anticipated the devastation that was awaiting him on that upcoming Friday afternoon. Our faith in Christ is not about Easter lilies. It's not about manger scenes. It's not about warm fuzzies. Our faith centers on that awful, bloodied, cursed cross and on our Savior who is willing to submit Himself to it and bear our sins on, in His body on the tree. How awesome is His love for us. Some have said it appears that Christ might have been wavering in His commitment to go to the cross. 
when he said his uh, soul was troubled. Surely Satan was attacking him with temptation at that very moment. But I don't see any wavering. I don't see any wavering on Jesus' part whatsoever. He said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And the answer that he is expecting, even as he answers it, or the, 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 the answer that he's giving, is no. Uh, I'm not going to ask, Father, save me from this hour. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Christ is resolute. His whole purpose in coming to earth was to die. So Jesus prays, Father, glorify Your name. It's easy to underestimate the force of Jesus' short prayer. Some think it's simply an utterance of resignation to do His Father's will. Okay, I'm going to die on the cross. Father, glorify Your name. But I think it's much, much more. Uh, look at it like this. Verse 27 says, For this purpose I have come to this hour. And so then if we ask, What is your purpose? Verse 28 gives the, the purpose. It gives the answer um, to uh, His purpose. Father, glorify Your name. In other words, what is His purpose? He came to bring glory to His Father's name. Jesus died on the cross for His Father's glory. Surely Jesus went to the cross um, because of His great love for us. But we are not the center of Christ's purpose. God's glory is the center of His purpose. Christ was willing to die to suffer the loss of His glory in order to repair the injury done to God's glory by our sin. As John Piper would say, it is God's passion for His own glory that caused Him to send His Son to the cross. We are the beneficiaries. It is vital that we stay in step with the Bible and keep God as the focus of our lives, of our worldview, of our faith. It is deceivingly easy to change the focus so that God revolves around us uh, and our priorities. That sort of faith is an apostate faith. The Jews were listening. Uh, I'm sorry. The Jews listening to Jesus had this type of me-centered faith. Their, their faith was so wrapped up with themselves that they could not understand the, the most basic communications from God. Look closely at verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Father, glorify Your name. And God answers Him from heaven. And all these people are standing around listening to Jesus. And so it says, Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. All these opinions. And then notice verse 30. This is, this is really important. Verse 30. Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. So God spoke for the benefit of the people, 
But the people didn't understand it. That's perplexing to me. Did God have marbles in His mouth when He spoke? It was for their benefit, yet they could not understand it. They could not understand what was even going on. Some thought it was thunder. How could this happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 tells us how it could happen. Tells us why it happened. The Apostle Paul says, Now we have received not now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of Him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We understand the gospel when it is preached. We understand the gospel when we're reading it in the Bible. And we're perplexed, and frankly, many of us are devastated that everybody else doesn't understand it. Why do we understand the gospel and others don't? Are we smarter? Are we more righteous? No, of course not. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, we have the Spirit of, of God. Unbelievers do not. What faith they have is centered on themselves so that they do not have any personal, intimate knowledge of God's glory. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the last verse I just read um, from this selection, uh, says, they don't not, uh, says they not only don't have knowledge of God's glory, but that they are unable to understand it. So listen again closely to 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, in other words, the person without spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's a breathtaking concept. Unbelievers are essentially deaf when it comes to understanding the things that pertain to the Spirit of God. But the idea here is not that the unbeliever is craving to know these things and God's withholding it from them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Unbelievers think the things of the Spirit are folly or foolishness. So they're culpable for their unbelief. But ultimately, they will never believe unless God gives them the Spirit of God to cause them to be born again. Am I going too far with this text? Is this really why the people in verse 29 could not understand the voice of God? I think I can confirm decisively, but I'm right on track. We're going to skip over verses 31 through 36. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. I want to jump down to verses 37 through 40. 
This is the Apostle John's commentary on why the people were were unable to understand the voice of God. Frankly, verses 37 through 41 is a summary that John gives to help us understand why the Jews who witnessed Jesus and His miracles with their own eyes continually rejected Him. And that's been the pattern since Jesus started His public ministry. Um, The Samaritans received Him, but chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and also in chapter 12, the Jews rejected Him by and large. There was a small minority that believed, but by and large, the Jews rejected Him. He would do a miracle to confirm the truthfulness of what He had been preaching. And His miracles were full of mercy. And they rejected Him. No one has ever taught like Jesus. No truer truths and beautiful and gracious truths have ever uh, been spoken. And yet they rejected Jesus wholesale. And so here in in, um, verses uh, 38 through 41, uh, John is giving a commentary on why they rejected Him. This passage is a pretty heavy passage of Scripture. It's potentially offensive. I'll tell you that right up front. Now, I like peacefulness. I want everybody to be happy, happy, happy. You know what? Maybe we should just close our Bibles and skip over this passage. Pretend that it's not in the Bible. Would you allow me to skip over it? (laughs) Of course not. And I would not be faithful to God if I did. One of my favorite commentators skipped over it. I'm still perplexed as to why he did. It did not give any reason why he did. Uh, I suppose that maybe one of his publishers deleted his comments and he could not get them back into the publication. But that's only my supposition. So, I guess what I'm saying is brace yourselves as we look at this passage. And you'll notice in verse 36... But when Jesus had finished speaking to the people, that he went and hid himself from the people. <laughs> uh, considering these passages were about these verses we're about to read, I considered doing the same thing after the sermon. <laughs> uh, I point this out to make it clear that this is John's commentary on why Jesus was consistently rejected by his people. This is not Jesus' words; these are John's words, but this is the word of God. They would not receive Him. You know, the the, the most powerful means of conviction. Jesus Himself doing signs and wonders. Jesus Himself preaching the pure Gospel of God. And it was almost to, to no effect. The most powerful means of conviction will not be of any effect unless God brings conversion. 
Was Jesus' ministry to a large extent a failure or a disappointment because people uh, in droves did not come to Jesus and, and truly trust in Him? Of course not. It was a great success. But the reason given for the success is, is surprising. Here's the reason for His success. Verses 38 um, through... I'm sorry, verses 37 through 41. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. So that the word might be spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what He uh, heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Spoke of Jesus is what John is saying. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus. The two passages quoted here, one from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus. The second passage is from Isaiah chapter 6, where God is seated on His throne. The, the, robe of, the train of his, his robe fills the temple. There's smoke going up. There's uh, angels praising Him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You remember that passage from Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah is undone because he sees the glory and holy holiness of God. John says, he was, he was seeing the glory of Jesus. And so, um, why is Jesus' ministry a great success? The reason, verse 38 says, is that the rejection of the Jews... The Jews' rejection of Jesus was in fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 38. So that the word spoken by the prophet of Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39 confirms that you heard me correctly. Verse 39. Therefore... They could not believe. I'm going to quibble just a little bit with one word from the English Standard Translation in verse 39. You see that first word, therefore? Generally, the Greek word for therefore is un. Um, but John does not use this word. Rather, he uses the, the, the little phrase, dia tuto, which uh, translated means because of this. And the this refers to Isaiah's prophecy. In other words, John is saying, because of this prophecy, they could not believe. Or to say it again, it was God's design that they could not believe. Am I misinterpreting the Scriptures? Am I going beyond the Scriptures when I say it was God's design that they could not believe? And look at verse 40. He, he being God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn 
and I would heal them. God blinded their eyes to the miracles of Jesus. God hardened their heart to the message of Jesus. Why? In order that they would not turn to God and receive salvation. I've been walking slowly through this passage because I wanted us all to see what's said here because it is often ignored. But let me speed up by giving reasons for what, um, that the Bible gives for why God did this. In Romans 11.25, the Apostle Paul, speaking to Gentiles about the Jews and their rejection of the Gospel, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And this partial hardening is what John is referring to when he quotes Isaiah. The Apostle Paul, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, he goes on to expand upon this a little later in Romans 11, uh, verses 30 through 32. He says, For just as you, talking to the Gentiles, for just as you at one time were disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of the Jews' disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that the mercy shown to you they may now also receive mercy. For God has consigned, or literally, He has bound. The idea in the Greek is bound with chains. God has, has consigned or bound all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. God bound the Jews over to disobedience in order to be merciful to the world. The Jews, because of the hardness of their hearts, rejected Jesus and put Him on the cross where our salvation was accomplished. Jesus was crucified because He came unto His own and His own did not receive Him. The first quote from Isaiah is from Isaiah 53 verse 1. The very next two verses in Isaiah says of the Messiah, He had, oh, and let me just remind you of this verse, of, of this quote from Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, people aren't believing. People aren't receiving. The very next two verses in Isaiah 53, um, verses 2 and 3, contain this. It says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. See, the Jews wanted a stately and majestic king who would lead them to victory in battle. They didn't want a meek Savior who was predicting that He was going to die. God gave the Jews exactly what they needed when, they, when He gave them Jesus. But they didn't want Him. As Isaiah 53 says, they rejected Him. And in their rejection, God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. We've got to finish. Uh, I want to make two points. First of all, I think it is very clear that the Bible teaches that God is in control over all belief 
and unbelief. It is easy for us to forget just how big God is. If you believe, it is because of God. If you do not believe, it is because of God. If you are here this morning and you are pushing God aside because you want to be a free thinker or because you're not ready to submit to Him, you've not pushed God anywhere. He is where He has always been. On His throne of the universe, ruling and reigning over every human heart. Where you are in relation to God, if you are an unbeliever and refuse to believe, is you are in a fearful position. You won't believe unless and until God grants you faith. Call upon Him now that you might receive His mercy. Lastly, believers in Christ, flee from your pretensions and your pride. I read in one of those passages, Romans 11:25, that the Apostle Paul warned the Gentiles about their their pride in in, um, in that passage we read, because God hardened people's hearts, but He could show us mercy. Think about that. People were hardened. People went to hell in order that God might show mercy to us by having them nail Christ to the cross that He might become our eternal salvation. If Christ were not nailed to the cross, none of us would be saved. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 9, 22 and 23. It's on page 945 of your pew Bibles. Because I want you to mull over this as we um, move into um, our communion uh, service with the Lord. Romans 9, 22 and 23. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it. I would like for you to mull over it and say, what does this, what does this mean? And what does this mean to me? Romans 9, 22 and 23. What if God, a rhetorical question here, what if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make His power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make the riches of His glory for His vessels of mercy, or make known the riches of His glory for His vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Let's pray. Father, as Your people mull, this, mull over this passage, I pray that You would give them wisdom and insight from Your Spirit for uh, spiritual things are discerned spiritually, and they are discerned by the Spirit of God. And so we rely on You. Be our teacher. Be with us as we mull over this passage. Be with us as we mull over John chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. And as we mull over, fill our hearts with a thankfulness and a humility that comes from knowing that You are the Lord of salvation. You alone are the Lord of, of hearts. 
And You have given Your salvation to us by giving Your Son in our place. We pray in His name. Amen.